0: Welcome to Current Radio's politics station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. Moving on to a rather alarming topic, Abby. The recent declassified intelligence assessment shows an increase in foreign government efforts to influence the 2022 U.S. midterm elections. What are your thoughts on this?
1: It's definitely concerning, Michael. The report suggests a diverse and growing group of foreign actors participated including China, Russia, Iran, and Cuba. While there's no evidence of a comprehensive campaign like Russia's in 2016, it's clear that these nations all attempted to meddle in some way.
0: China's role is particularly interesting. The report suggests that Chinese Communist Party leaders have been directing efforts to influence U.S. policy since 2020, and the 2022 midterms were no exception.
1: Indeed they apparently saw the elections as an opportunity to portray the U.S. democratic model as chaotic and ineffective. The report also highlights China's focus on Congress, which they view as a source of anti-China activity.
0: And it's not just about spreading disinformation. It seems China is using sophisticated methods like AI-generated images to mimic American voters online and stir up discussion on divisive issues. This is a new level of...
1: Absolutely a new level of cyber manipulation. And what's more, they believed they were under less scrutiny during the midterms, which likely gave them more freedom to conduct these operations.
0: Now moving on to Russia. The report suggests they were attempting to denigrate the Democratic Party and undermine confidence in the election, likely to weaken U.S. support for Ukraine. It's intriguing how they...
1: Yes, they conducted extensive research and analysis of U.S. audiences, targeting those they believed would be more sympathetic to Russia's message. It's a calculated and strategic approach.
0: And let's not forget about Iran and Cuba. Both countries engaged in efforts to influence the elections, although their approaches differed. Iran sought to exploit social divisions and undermine confidence in U.S. democratic institutions, while Cuba's efforts were more focused on specific candidates.
1: That's right, Michael. It's clear that these foreign actors are not trying to change literal votes, but rather damage the public perception of the integrity of the results. It's a form of psychological warfare that...
0: Indeed, it's a battle of narratives and perceptions. It's important to note, though, the assessment didn't study the impact these influence campaigns may have had on the actual outcome of the elections.
1: True, and that's a crucial point. We must continue to question, investigate, and expose these activities. Only then can we hope to protect the integrity of our democratic processes.
0: From international election interference, we now turn our attention back to our own shores. A different kind of battle is unfolding, not in the realm of politics, but in the courtroom. The spotlight is on a former president and a civil fraud trial that has seen some significant developments. Let's delve into this. Shifting gears a bit, Let's delve into the ongoing civil fraud trial of former President Donald Trump. The latest development involves Judge Arthur Engeron's rather scathing denial of Trump's attempt to dismiss the case. Abby, your thoughts?
1: Well, Michael, it seems the judge isn't pulling any punches. He's gone as far as to criticize Trump's accounting experts, stating that it would be a glaring flaw to assume their testimonies are true and accurate. Quite a statement, isn't it?
0: Indeed. And it's not just the experts. Judge Engoron seems to be rejecting key points of the defense, too. He's noted that the case record shows numerous material misstatements on Trump's personal financial statements.
1: And let's not forget his remarks about Professor Bartoff. Engoron's comment that for a million or so dollars, some experts will say whatever you want them to say is quite damning. The judge clearly isn't buying into the defense's narrative.
0: Right? And he's also dismissed the defense's arguments that valuations are subjective and that only material deviations are punishable. Engeron's standpoint is clear. A lie is still a lie.
1: Yet Trump's attorney, Chris Keiss, has called Engeron's order a complete failure to address the legal elements of the claims. He's arguing that the judge is ignoring the real-world facts and participants in the case.
0: The judge also countered a defense argument that disclaimers on Trump's financial statements protect him from liability. He stated that they don't shield defendants from liability and, in fact, might expose them to it.
1: Angoron also found the attorney general's expert on disgorgement credible and stated that the banks that lent Trump money were injured despite defense claims that the banks loved Trump's business.
0: That's a key point, isn't it? The argument is that by overstating the value of assets, thus lowering the perceived risk to the lender, any gains are ill-gotten. The fact that the lenders made money and were happy with the transactions doesn't mean they weren't damaged by lending at lower
1: rates. Exactly. And now, with witness testimony concluded, we're awaiting the next steps. Both the Attorney General's office and Trump's lawyers have until January 5th to file briefs summarizing their positions. Oral arguments are scheduled for January 11th.
0: And the stakes are high. Engoron will determine how much the Trumps and their company must pay and the fate of their business in New York. This could potentially result in Trump and his two adult sons being banned from doing business in New York, right?
1: That's the potential outcome, yes. And we're talking about more than $250 million at stake here. It will be interesting to see how this unfolds in the coming weeks.
0: From the courtroom to the political arena, the name Donald Trump continues to dominate headlines. As we await the outcome of the ongoing civil fraud trial, let's shift our focus to another angle. Trump's recent rhetoric, likened to extreme propaganda, has been stirring up controversy and raising concerns about the implications for our political landscape. Let's delve into this, shall we? Abby, let's talk about Trump's recent comments and their implications for the political landscape. His extreme rhetoric, likened to Nazi propaganda, is causing quite a stir.
1: Indeed, Michael. His recent comments at a rally in New Hampshire were, to say, the least controversial. The way he spoke about immigrants, calling them a poison to the United States, it's just not— In line
0: with America's founding values, right? It's concerning to think about the impact of such rhetoric on our political discourse. It's also important to note that this isn't just about Trump's words— but the actions they may inspire.
1: Absolutely, Michael. His language is not just inflammatory, but it's also aimed at stoking fear and hostility against immigrants. And it's not just about immigration. He's also been using, some have been using similar language to discredit American democracy, echoing Putin's attempts to
0: undermine our democratic system, yes. And let's not forget his comments about Biden, framing him as the real threat to democracy. It's a classic move of deflection.
1: But it's also a trap, isn't it? He's known for breaking norms of political speech to create outrage, which in turn invigorates his supporters and puts his opponents off balance.
0: Exactly, Abby. It's a strategy that's worked for him before, and he's using it again. But it's not just about the immediate impact of his words. There's a longer-term threat to democratic values, both here and around
1: the world. And we can't ignore the fact that his rhetoric is becoming more extreme. It's a worrying trend, especially considering the possibility of him running for office again.
0: Right. And there's a real danger of complacency here. Former Wyoming Rep. Paul Liz Cheney has warned that if Americans elect him again, he will never leave office. She's even said the country is sleepwalking to dictatorship.
1: It's a stark warning, Michael. And it's not just about Trump, but about the state of our democracy. Trump's rhetoric and actions are a symptom of a larger problem. The question is, are we ready to address it?
0: That's the million dollar question, Abby, and it's one that we as a nation need to grapple with. The future of our democracy may well depend on it. Speaking of the impact of political rhetoric on immigration, let's shift our focus to a related development that's been making headlines recently. This time, it's not about what's being said, but what's being done. In Texas, a new law has been signed that could significantly alter the landscape of immigration enforcement. Let's dive into the latest on the immigration front, Abby. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has just signed a bill that makes illegal entry into Texas a state crime. Quite a bold move, wouldn't you say?
1: It certainly is, Michael. This new law, SB4, allows local law enforcement to arrest migrants and judges to issue removal orders it's causing quite a stir, especially among the Latino community in Texas, which makes up 40% of the state's population.
0: Yes, and it's not just the Latino community that's concerned. Civil rights organizations and immigration advocacy groups have also condemned the law, but it's not all one-sided. Some argue that this law could provide local law enforcement with better tools, better times.
1: Yes, but it's important to note that this law seems to be stepping on federal toes. Some Democratic House members have said the bill oversteps the federal government's powers. It's reminiscent of Arizona's controversial show-me-your-papers law.
0: That's right, Abby. The U.S. Supreme Court mostly rejected that law in 2012, upholding that the federal government sets immigration policy and laws. But the author of the Texas bill insists that it's constitutional.
1: And the ACLU isn't taking this lying down. They've threatened to sue Governor Abbott over this measure calling it one of the most anti-immigrant bills passed by any state. The
0: criticism doesn't end there. Krishomara Vignaraja, the president and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, said this law threatens the safety and dignity of asylum seekers.
1: It's a complex issue, Michael. On one hand, there's the ongoing surge of migration at the US-Mexico border, which is straining local and federal resources. On the other hand, there's the question of human rights, and
0: process, right? And the concern isn't limited to advocacy groups or Democrats. Three top county executives in Texas have written to President Biden, urging him to stop SB4 from going into effect.
1: They argue the measure is unconstitutional and could make communities less safe. These county executives lead El Paso, Harris, and Travis counties, which represent nearly a quarter of the state's population.
0: And just yesterday, Representative Joaquin Castro of Texas and 20 other Democratic lawmakers wrote a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland expressing their grave concern over the bill.
1: They're urging Garland to assert his authority over federal immigration and foreign policy and pursue legal action to stop this legislation. It's a contentious issue, and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds in the coming months.